Jazz Discovery, Kesha, the greatest rock and roll drummer of all time, David Berman, The Who, Minnesota Guitar Immortality at the 331 Club, The Kinks, A Strange Triple Bill, and if that weren't enough, a legendary songwriter that actually got better with time. This is episode one of Midweek Minnesota's Music Ramble, a production of Eric Ritland Isn't So Bad. Hello everyone and welcome to Midweek Minnesota's Music and Sports Rambles. I'm your host, Eric Ritland. I'm a journalist, songwriter, and commentator from the east side of St. Paul. I'm a writer and editor for Music in Minnesota, have released six albums and 80 piece since 2001, and founded blog and podcast Rambling On in 2012. I'm very excited to announce my latest project, Eric Ritland Isn't So Bad. Be happier, get smarter, and discover with the Eric Ritland Isn't So Bad podcast, which debuts on October 7th. Midweek Minnesota is the local portion of Eric Ritland Isn't So Bad, and includes both a music and sports segment. I'm previewing Eric Ritland Isn't So Bad in September by releasing weekly Midweek Minnesota music and sports rambles. On this edition of the Minnesota Music Ramble podcast, I'll be talking with my friend Aaron Williams, who's a writer for music in Minnesota. He's one of those rare people that actually listens to all kinds of music. I know that whenever we're asked what kind of music we listen to, we all say, well, I listen to all kinds, but we're all just mostly frauds, except for Aaron, because he listens to everything from old rock to indie to rap to folk to country. I don't think there's one genre that I've brought up that he hasn't had some kind of informed opinion on. So enjoy this segment with Music in Minnesota's Aaron Williams. Well, the first question is, what have you been listening to lately? The majority of my my, my listening falls into a few camps over the last couple weeks. One is me trying to get into or get back into jazz. I never really got deep into it. But I've, always, I've kind of tried a lot of times. Yeah. So I'm hoping that this this time it seems to be catching. I'm trying to kind of learn learn more about it rather than just listening. I'm trying to kind of understand right. and appreciate it a little bit more. Yeah. But um, so I've gone back to some classics. Coltrane. I've been listening to Giant Steps a lot. Nice. That record is just fantastic. Oh, yeah. I actually saw Herbie Hancock nice. last month. He kind of goes, he's a guy that goes through so many phases. And they're, they're kind of connected, but... They're not, but that's a period, kind of the mid-60s, kind of before he really goes electric and before he really he really goes out there. A lot of his stuff is really an interesting blend of kind of the experimental and the accessible, yeah. um, which is good for me as somebody who doesn't know, you know, as much. I, mean, I, I still don't think I, I completely understand everything he's doing. Um, I don't know if anybody does with a, right. kind of a mind like that, but... That's definitely um, that's definitely an area that I've been listening to a lot. Nice. Kind of a more obscure record that I've kind of been digging. Another actually connects to a show that I saw a few weeks ago. I, I've been listening to the Clifford Jordan record, Glass Bead Games. Okay. It's it's like an early '70s record. It's it's just really really great, really really heavily improvisational. Um, and the recording is super crisp. Nice. And there's just like this midsection. There's a song. There's three songs in a row that I really like. One is called Cal Massey. One is called Eddie Harris, and one is called J- just John Coltrane. And nice. In a way, in a way, they're kind of tributes to I think their heroes. What I was going to connect that to is I also uh, I saw I think it was a quartet. I don't know if it's a quartet or a quintet, 
paying tribute to Clifford Jordan um, a few weeks ago at Ice House at their uh, Monday night jazz residency. I saw a group led by drummer Phil Hay, a nice. bunch of really young guys playing that music, and That's super that cool, kind of right? got me back into listening to that record. It's one that I've liked for a long time, but didn't really know anybody else liked, so that, that's kind of cool. Nice. And then the other camp of music I've been listening to is um, another thing that I feel like I kind of missed, kind of a, a, on a down note, but that that is uh, the music of David Berman. Okay. Um, David Berman, of course, was the the leader of uh, the band Silver Jews, really I think the only consistent member um, and he, of course, passed away just a few months ago, or maybe it was even last month. And I, I, I never really got into that band, but I always knew that he had kind of a huge fan base, and there's a lot of reverence for his work, kind of in indie rock and kind of singer songwritery circles. And those are kind of yeah. worlds that I definitely like like stuff in. Yeah. So I he put out this record, Purple Mountains, this year, and I been listening to that and i just i've just kind of fallen in love with it nice. really since 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 his passing i just i think the production frankly on a lot of his earlier material sometimes the production didn't live up to the lyrics you know and right. it just it didn't feel like a it didn't really feel like a complete package but this one this one definitely feels like that the production is stellar there's like horns and slide guitar and there's all this nice. stuff and just blends really well and it really really i think uh feels like an actualization of, uh, of of kind of his vision. That's super um, cool. Yeah, so that's kind of what I've been digging recently. You know, there's always other stuff mixed in, but that's uh, those are definitely two kind of channels that my listening has been taking over the last week or two. Nice. Going back to the jazz thing, I've tried really hard to get into jazz too, and I love it. And I basically just listen on an aesthetic level because <laughs> I know I don't understand the pure musicality of it. But I do, have yeah. a, I do have a few books that I've been trying to read on it, but, you know, it's in a pile of 300 other books I'm trying yeah. to read. But uh, I like the interplay between the, or the, like the era and the interplay between the older acoustic stuff and then when it gets a little more electric in the 60s. I find that's really interesting because it's, like you were saying, it's that perfect mix of being experimental but also being just pure jazz, too. Yeah, exactly. I mean, because a lot of the electric stuff, I mean, even Herbie's electric stuff, even his really acclaimed stuff for me, it, it almost goes a little too far. You know, it's a little too right. kind of, it's a little too modern, you know, uh, right. it's just a little, it's, it's just a little too, too hip, you know, for me. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's a lot of that 50s and 60s stuff is really, again, really blends it all really, yeah. really well. For sure. I've been listening to a lot of kinks lately. You ever get into the kinks? No, they're another band. They're one of like the few classic rock. Like I've never gone through a, a Kinks phase. Yeah, me either. And some of their songs kind of come up on Spotify playlists that I have and Pandora stuff. So I've been going mm-hmm. back to stuff based on what I hear. And one of their albums that I've always liked is Muswell Hillbillies, which is one of their <clears throat> some like I think some like seventy or seventy one. That's a really great concept album about a lot of the same stuff that Ray Davies writes about. Or Ray Davis rather writes about a lot society and culture and homogenization and stuff and it's pretty cool there's a there's a song on that album called oklahoma usa and it's one of the most beautiful songs that i've ever heard so i listen to that and it's only like two and a half minutes long so whenever i listen to it i listen to it two or three times in a row every time (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah those are the best songs you know the ones that have replay value and the ones you kind of learn from you know as as you re-listen and whatnot yeah for sure it's just this slow melancholy song that's so cool 
And the Muswell Hillbillies title track is really cool too. The the lyrics that he's that he's able to write uh, along with the melodies, it's it almost seems effortless for him. It's uh-huh. and the the staying power they were they had as well was crazy because you listen to their '60s stuff and it's all day and all of the night and you really got me. And then in the '70s it's Lola. And then they even had hits in the '80s. It, their really? long, yeah, their long, their staying power was crazy. They had a in the late '70s, early '80s they had an album called Come Dancing. Or that was at least one of their hits in the late 70s, early 80s. And it actually sounds pretty modern for that time, but it also has like a throwback feel. It's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So other than that, I, I was listening to The Current did a block party weekend for Labor Day. Oh, yeah. Like they always do. Yeah. I'm assuming, I'm assuming they, they didn't just play the band block party. No. <laughs> but I'm sure I they... I don't know if I'd be on board with that. But, I, I'm, sure you know. the, I'm sure they did a block of block party and made some giggly joke about it. I'm sure. I'm sure, just like I did. <laughs> Right. But I heard a John Prine block, and John Prine's obviously absolutely seminal. One of my favorite songwriters basically changed the way I look at songwriting in so many ways. Yeah. And they played the the late, the late single from his most recent album called When I Get to Heaven. Yeah, and unbelievable song. That song is so unbelievable. He's still, you listen to his first record, and I always say that album has the best anti-war song in Sam Stone, the best breakup song in Far From Me, the best song about aging... Uh, what's that one called? Hello, Hello in there. Hello in there. There you go. And it's all on one album, and somehow he's still able to still write these incredibly clever songs that are so meaningful. It's he's just got a he's got a way with words, as they say, or so yeah, to speak. His, uh, his, his wit is uncanny. Yeah, it's it's just unbelievable. And the fact that I mean, a lot of artists. I mean, I I mean, I like you probably like a lot of older artists and have kind of mixed feelings about kind of artists, some certain artists as they age, but yeah. for him, it's just, he's just built his career. He just seems to have an endless body of work, you know, and it doesn't, yeah. I, I would argue not all of his albums are great, but there's a lot of great ones in there, you know, and even on the ones that you don't like as much, there's a lot, there's a lot of digging to do. Yeah. There's always at least one song that just makes your jaw drop, even on the records that aren't as good. Yeah. But this last one, man, that last one was really good. The, the yeah. tree of forgiveness. I mean, I, I think yeah. it's, I mean, it was his first work in, what, like a decade, decade and a half or something? Yeah. But uh, it really just, man, it, it really hit home for me. Um, it really, really was really good. It was a very rare, timeless album from an, yeah. from an older singer. It happens sometimes, but so rarely that it, it kind of jumps out at you. The late, later Johnny Cash stuff is kind of like that, too. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. What memorable shows have you covered lately, seeing as so, you write for the illustrious music in Minnesota? Um, so a couple shows I've covered recently, the two that stick out that I've covered are both kind of more, more production heavy shows. Um, it's kind of ironic that I said, you know, talked about modern music and being a little too electric and too hip. Uh, but I did, I did, uh, I did see Tame Apollo and Flying Lotus, which were absolutely two of the, two of the most visually impressive shows I've ever seen. Um, you know, and I've seen I've seen a lot of I, I, I've seen a lot of shows and scenes that pride themselves on kind of visuals, be it you know jam bands or EDM or yeah. rock or whatever. But these shows were really really blew a lot of it out of the water. The Tame Impala show was notable, I would say, for you know the the use of just lasers, <laughs> just lasers after lasers after huh. lasers, and the Flying Lotus show was uh, in three D. Um, oh wow! And which was just crazy. Um, 
the music was pretty good in both shows too. I thought Tame Impala really, uh, really just they, they were really you know they're a pop band is what they are. They're, right. They're a clean. They're a clean um, modern kind of psychedelic pop band. And um, to their credit, they were really. I thought they executed everything really, really well. You know, it was really um, just really crisp. Everything was crisp. Nice. Um, and then Flying Lotus was, you know, his mix of hip hop and jazz and uh, pretty much everything else, I guess. He right. kind of takes every genre under the sun. Yeah. Um, and at times it was a little dense and kind of heavy and frankly intense. Um, I wrote about how intense it was in the in the piece, but um, that was definitely definitely a a heavy a heavy one you know right there's a good they're they're good shows they're they're really cool shows especially if you're into over-the-top visuals nice well my show that i went to recently was and covered for music in minnesota was kind of the polar opposite of that because i saw who i dubbed the greatest rock and roll drummer of all time ringo star at mystic lake yes yes (laughs) i saw that piece nice and have you ever seen shows at mystic uh, I've seen three. I've seen three. Yeah. I think. Maybe two. Two or three. Yeah. I. They're a really nice venue as far as dealing with the people there. It's Everything runs so smoothly, and they treat yeah. us really well. But as far as aesthetically and the looks of it, it's just kind of dark and depressing to me. Well, it's also connected to a casino, which is about as... Yes dark and depressing as you can get absolutely i always say I mean, that the, I, I, well, I, I, right. the sound there is good and stuff too and i, oh, I for hear sure. your points on how on how kind of uh you know how, how clean ever how well well it well run it is yeah i always like to say that the only thing more depressing than a casino is a strip club <laughs> yeah you're, you're not you're not wrong there right but <laughs> at least from what i've heard about strip clubs yeah of course of course <laughs> of course but as far as the show goes it was really really good I was really glad that Ringo pulled out a lot of lesser-known Beatles tracks rather than the most obvious ones. Yeah. He, he did Yellow Submarine and Help From My Friends, but otherwise it was all lesser-known stuff. He started out with Matchbox, the old Carl Perkins song. That was super oh, cool. Wow. Yeah, from the Long Tall Sally EP that he recorded with the Beatles. I he, didn't even know that existed. I'm going to have to listen to that. Yeah. The Long Tall Sally EP is just this It's this five-song bomb. It's so good. that has their version of the Little Richard song. An old, I think it's a Little Willie John song, Slow Down. Ringo does Matchbox, and I Call Your Name, another one of my favorite John Lennon songs that was given to the Mamas and the Papas, which is kind of interesting. Interesting. But the, but the Beatles version is really is really cool, too. And Ringo also did What Goes On, which is the album, one of the album tracks from Rubber Soul that's kind of twangy uh-huh. and kind of cool. Uh-huh. And I Want to Be Your Man, which was Ringo's second vocal on a Beatle album. The story behind that song is actually kind of interesting because the Beatles were at a, or at least John and Paul were at a party with Keith Richards and Mick Jagger, and they had had a hit, minor hit in England with a cover of a Chuck Berry song called Come On, and uh, Jagger and Richards went up to Lennon McCartney and were like, how do you write songs? We want to do it. And he, they were like, okay, hold on. They just went to the corner and wrote I Want to Be Your Man for the Stones. They were like, here's your next single. This is how songwriting works. You guys can do it too. And and that inspired the Stones to start writing their own songs. And one of their first big hits in England was their version of "I Want to Be Your Man." So, and once again, it's another album track. So it was kind of cool he picked that. Uh, he, and he did uh, "Act Naturally," the Buck Owens song, which is yeah, another album cut. Oh, it's that's so good one. from Help. And I love Buck Owens. I love old country music. So seeing him play that was kind of like a dream come true for a hillbilly guy like me. 
I didn't realize I didn't realize that was uh, an interest of Ringo's. Yeah, and I think it had a lot to do with them being with the Beatles being born in a port city, so they got a lot of these records from America, and a lot yeah. of the stuff that they got was country western stuff. I, I think George definitely was influenced by them too, and even John was a little bit. Uh-huh. And so, I guess if you're going to be influenced by country in the '60s. It's going to be Buck Owens or some of the other artists you talked, Carl Perkins, or right for some sure. of the other artists you talked about. So yeah. I think the thing that was most surprising to me about the Ringo show was the all-star band that he had with him. I talked talked about this a little bit in the piece, but the Ringo Starr all-star bands used to actually be all-stars. I actually think the first one is possibly the greatest rock band ever assembled, totally being hyperbolic, but only a little bit, because it was the rhythm section was Levon Helm and Rick Danko from the band. Oh, wow. And then you had Joe Walsh. And, oh, and Nils Lofgren from the Eagles on guitar, Clarence Clemens from Bruce Springsteen on saxophone, and the two keyboard players were Dr. John and Billy Preston. Oh, my God. I know. Oh. That actually was, I mean, outside of the Highwaymen and the Traveling Wilburys, they might have been one of the coolest bands ever assembled. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, that's some really, really high high quality stuff. I mean, I, I just, I mean, it almost sounds like too much for me. I don't yeah. think I'd be able to handle it. I don't think I could handle I don't think I could handle, you know, Billy Preston and Dr. John going back and forth. Yeah. I think there's a what? YouTube video of one of their con- their whole concerts from that era. I'll yeah, try to find it. Out. it. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, go ahead. So I was going to ask, who was in this iteration? Um, does Colin Hay play with him? He's the guy from Men at Work, right? Yes. Yes, he was there. Okay. And Ringo Starr's all-star bands since the first one have had some big names, but this one I wasn't super thrilled about because it had Colin Hay from Men at Work who... I'm not a huge Men at Work fan. It had the guitar player from Toto. Yeah. And the bass player from Average White Band. Interesting. The All-Star Band format is some Ringo songs, and then they'll play songs of the people in the All-Star Band. And I figured, okay, they'll play uh, Who Can It Be Now and Africa and Rosanna and all those songs, and I'll just be bored with it. But man, when you have professionals, the caliber of these people, even if they're in bands that just had a couple hits... It was amazing. These are not sidemen by any stretch no. of the imagination. These are actual band leaders. And you, you have a band that's full of band leaders. The quality is just going to be excellent. And the quality of the songs is just so great. I found myself almost euphoric listening to songs I never thought I could really get into. Like, um, who, can, who, who can it be now, for instance? I don't really like love that song. But hearing it live with all, these, with all those guys playing on it was really cool. Yeah. And when they did Africa, Colin Hay did the high part, the... Uh, take me away from you. That high part, part, and he just rocked that vocal. It was so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was gonna say that. I think Colin Hay and the guy from is it Lucather? Is that is how you say his name? Yes. Um, I, I've always thought both of those guys um, were kind of miss. I, I feel like they get kind of miscategorized or mischaracterized, kind of in the public eye. I've always thought both those guys are super talented. I mean. Uh, Lucas are notoriously, uh, not notoriously, but um, kind of famously played with Michael Jackson. Right. And uh, Colin Hay has some, man, he has a few solo songs that I really, really love. So nice. it's, it's, I guess it's no surprise to me that those guys are good. And obviously, you know, the bass player from AWB, I should think I saw that. I think I saw AWB last year, but that's beside the point. Um, I, I had no idea how much I loved Average White Band until I saw this oh, show. Oh, they're fun. Oh, they're, they're so, so good. Fun. So funky and so just purely... Did they, it's just like pure joy in music form. Yeah, absolutely. 
So have you looked uh, forward to the future at all in the next week or so? Are there any shows that kind of pique your interest? Yeah, so there's definitely a, there's a, one or two kind of high-profile shows and a few kind of lower-profile shows. The one that jumps off the page for me, the one I'm super excited for in terms of high-profile show is, of course, The Who on Friday. Yeah. Um, they're playing with an orchestra, and <laughs> they're playing with... Uh, Actually, with Ringo's son, right, Zach Stark. Oh, nice. Yep. Um, so, you know, any you know, anytime you get to see, uh, you know, Pete Townsend. I mean, Daltrey's voice is not what it was. Right. It's very old. Um, that's you know, that kind of is what it is. But Keith you know, Mo- Pete Townsend is yeah. just amazing. If you've watched any yeah. of his more recent oh. stuff, I mean, absolutely. Can, that that guy has always been able to play, and he's an underrated he's, guitar player. I think people see him mostly as the smashing the guitars and writing rock operas type thing but his actual lead guitar playing is phenomenal oh yeah have you ever seen the acoustic version i know this isn't a lead line but have you ever seen the acoustic version of drowned that he did a few years ago no oh my gosh that's like i i I, that made me want to like that like i practiced more after i saw that you know what i mean nice yeah you know it's just it just it was unbelievable so that's kind of the big gig um at least from what i'm from my perspective uh the next week but also a few kind of lower profile gigs. Um, there's a band playing Friday night at the hook and ladder, like at the hook and ladder side room called Western centuries. Huh? Um, it's, it's kind of an interesting concept. It's like one guy's from like a bluegrass band. They're all from the Pacific Northwest. I believe one, one guy's from a bluegrass band. One kind of comes from a folk rock background. One guy's from like a folk jam band. Uh, and they get together and they play honky tonk music. Um, nice, and uh, th- you know, it's to your point earlier about everybody being a band leader. This is a band where everybody is a songwriter. Nice. So I always love that know, sort of thing. Yeah. So they can all sing. They can all they all they write good songs, um, and they can they can all importantly they can all play their instruments. So that's not a real kind of massively hyped gig. It's actually free, I think, too. So that's another. Huh. If you're listening to this and looking for something to do on Friday night, that's definitely nice. A good call. Um, and there's a trio of rock shows that I'll spend just a little bit of time on each um, going into uh, next week. Um, Sunday night, you have uh, Sheer Mag at the Turf Club. They're just like an anthemic kind of, I don't know if I'd call them lo-fi punk, but they're, they're, they're really just kind of punky, but with real kind of classic rock hooks um, and nice. real kind of big big guitars. People compare them a lot to Thin Lizzy, and I, I think that checks out. Nice. Um Monday night at the Fine Line, I believe, um, you have uh, Titus Andronicus, who, you know, their, their body of work kind of speaks for itself at this point, but they got a new album out, they're touring off of that. I've never seen them live before, but I would bet my bottom dollar that they're a great kind of rock and roll time. And right. then on Tuesday night, actually, a week from tonight when we're recording this, uh, Big Business and Big Business and um, Meat Wave are playing... At, and with one other band that I hadn't heard of, but Big Big Business and Meat Wave are playing nice. at Mortimer's, and that should be another kind wow. of, that'll be a little more towards the aggressive and heavier side, but right. that should be kind of a rock blowout, and that's a, at Mortimer's in a small venue like that, that should be a really, really great show, and then if I can just do one more, oh, one for more sure. recommendation. Absolutely. Um, tomorrow night at uh, the 331, um, there are two two kind of interesting guitarists um one at least listed on their website right now um um one is mark joseph from the big woo 
he's doing a gig there of some sort. I don't know. There's no details about it on their website, but he's always, I always like watching him play. Nice. And then Matt Sowell, I think his name is Sowell, Sowell, Sowell. Yeah. Is kind of a, kind of a uh, finger style folk, um, kind of American primitive John Fahey type. Oh, nice. Player. And he's playing at nine and I've never seen him play before, but I listen to his music a lot. I love, you know, that kind of John Fahey almost, it's not, I don't know yeah. if it's quite as active as like Leo Kaki or something, but right. it's definitely in that same kind of, that same kind of, you know, um, acoustic, just really intricate acoustic and complex and sophisticated acoustic guitar arrangements. So right. that, that, that'll be, that'll be tomorrow night. If I'm not sure when you're going to have this out, but oh, that'll be out by then. Yeah, it's gonna, I'm going to be putting it out tomorrow, so the 4th. Awesome. So when people yes. are listening to this, it'll be today. So you have your plans for tonight. Yeah, exactly. Head on, head on over to the 331. That'll be a great show. That's the house party, right? The KFAI house party? Uh, the first one, Mark Joseph, I believe, is a KFAI house party. Nice. At 7, and then Bad Solo is playing later. I love those house parties. I have friends who play it all the time, and the DJ on it is really cool. Yeah, I haven't been yet, um... I've only been to the three three one a few times actually, but I've been meaning to go there more. There's great, just it's a great venue. Yeah, it's a hidden gem for sure. Definitely. So I have two shows, at least from the aside from the ones that you mentioned, because I already had the Who on here as well. One of them I'm mentioning just to kind of get your thoughts on them as an artist, and the other one I just thought was such a weird bill that it it, it deserved mentioning. Mm-hmm. On Thursday at Mystic, you have Kesha. Interesting. And I've never really listened to Kesha's music much, but I know that you're a little bit more in the pop world than I am, or at least you're more aware of it. What? Where do you stand with Kesha? Uh, you know, um, on, on a very unserious, uncritical note, her music got played a lot at my middle school dances. <laughs> um, so ask anybody about the music of their middle school dances, and you're going to get one of two. You're going to get a very extreme reaction. Um <laughs> I don't really, I've never really been too attached to it, personally. I know people kind of liked, liked her last album was a little less, uh, I don't know if I'd say, it was never abrasive, but like it was a little like more listenable, I think, was kind of the rap that her last album got. Right. Um, but I, I actually don't, I don't really, I wouldn't say I have a strong, strong opinion on Kesha, but, she just writes. Yeah. She just writes bangers, right? I guess, that's kind of her reputation, right? <laughs> right. And like I like I said, I haven't listened to much of Kesha's music, but I did work one of her shows when I used to work at the XL for my nine to five. And all I remember is the glitter. That's all I remember. <laughs> Lots of glitter. <laughs> Lots of I'm glitter. I'm sure it'll be a vis- vis- visually visually stunning show. I yeah. Imagine. Oh, for sure. If there's anybody out there that goes to the Kesha show and wants to let us know how it is, I would definitely like to know. Yes, please do. And then the other show that I have on my little calendar here, if I can pull it up, this iPad that I'm using literally just went black as I was about to look at it. That's Interesting. Cool. That always happens. Yeah. So Apple. Yeah, right. So on the 8th, that's a Sunday at the Armory, it's a weird triple bill. Social distortion, flogging... I saw this. Yeah. Social distortion, <laughs> flogging Molly, and uh, The Devil Makes Three. Like, you really couldn't get... Well, there have been a lot of bills that have a wide range of of sounds on it. Like for example, I mean Blink 182 and Lil Wayne's coming together. So yeah. I mean, but anything is possible in, in, in this era. Right. But Social Distortion has that chunky 80s punk rock sound. And then Flogging Molly is just the straight up Irish rock thing. And Devil yeah. Makes 3 is an old-fashioned 
country western bluegrass folk kind of thing i liked their record that came out i think it was two years ago made my top 20 albums of the year their songwriting Mm -hmm. is it's really pure and really good and the problem with a lot of americana bands like a lot of the stuff that they say play on uh united states of americana it just seems a little forced the double the double makes three it seemed like they were able to take the folk thing and stay true to the roots of it but also make it something that's creative and of who they were to so i would i would love to see that bill because i love social distortion devil makes three was really great flogging molly i can take or leave but i wouldn't mind seeing them i would hope that they would do their one song that i really love is uh worst day since yesterday that's a great song yeah i don't know that one that's, I, that's just know, uh, great song. I mean i know a few i know a fair amount of flogging molly but for some reason i don't really know why it just kind of it, it just kind of happened in my life but right um that song, if I ever leave this world alive, is kind of kind of cheesy, but uh, it's right. really kind of nostalgic, nostalgic, nostalgic ballady yeah. kind of thing. So, yeah, that, that's definitely an interesting bill. I saw it. I I think there's even like another punk band on there too. It's like a maybe maybe I'm wrong, but it might yeah, not have, definitely it might not have been listed. They might have not listed the fourth band if there was one, but uh-huh. on my where I got my information from, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, so that's definitely an eclectic bill. They're definitely trying to get... I mean, it, it kind of made sense. It's all kind of aggressive, rootsy-ish music, yeah, in a way. Just like, covering like the it, whole spectrum. Yeah, I mean, if you just, if you really look at it broadly. Yeah, um, for sure. And it definitely does a good job of capturing different demographics. I would bet... Yeah, I, I, I hope The Devil Makes Three. They're, they're a band that I also I also really like. Um I would agree that they, they, they kind of have more fun than a lot of Americana bands. You know yeah, what I mean? yeah. Um, and I, I hope they win over some fans at that show. Um, because I, I would bet a lot of people know the other two bands at that show. Yeah. And not a lot of the punks are as, you know, maybe as familiar with, with The Devil Makes Three. And the punk rock audience a lot of times is into stuff that's pure and real. And they can sniff it out regardless of the genre. So I feel yeah. like the folkier stuff of Devil Makes Three will still resonate with them. Yeah, definitely. That's why I feel like punk and like punk and folk slash country came together so easily, like in the late eighties with Uncle Tupelo and all those bands, because the aesthetic is basically the same. Just try to be, try to get to the basics of what you're doing and have it be for lack of a better term, authentic. Just try to get to that authentic core of each thing. And I feel like punk and folk music do that, at at their best, do that really really well, and it's kind of the same aesthetic. Yeah, I mean, it ain't exactly you know, it, it ain't exactly you know, fusion jazz or progressive rock or right. something. You know, it's it's just kind of the, the exact opposite of that, and that yeah. could definitely be a refreshing thing. And that's definitely what it personally what attracts me to those genres. I'm not quite as deep into punk, but uh, yeah, me either. Those are, de- those are definitely there's de- there's definitely some commonalities there. Yeah. And again, it is cool when bands kind of articulate that, right? Um, you know, I guess I guess everybody always says that X was the first band to make it. You know, was kind of the original. Or uh, who was it? Uh, what's that band that uh, Nirvana covers? Uh, ooh, Meat um, Puppets. Yes, the Meat Puppets. They they kind of had they kind of did yeah. that in a really kind of eclectic way too. So yeah, and then obviously the whole alt country thing happened. And yeah, now, now we're here. Yeah, I was talking with my fourteen year old nephew about cow punk and that whole genre and uncle tupelo's place in it and i was trying to think of the band that influenced them and i literally just thought of it i couldn't think of it for two days jason and the scorchers yes definitely <laughs> that that's definitely a, a punk and country friendly friendly band right yeah for sure 
I mean, and now you see so many bands, even locally, that kind of dig into both, you know, dig dig into both worlds. Yeah. Um, trying to think of any. I'm not, I'm kind of putting myself on the spot here, but right. there's definitely a lot of bands that, you know, do kind of combine that Americana, that rock, and that country in, you know, such a, a nice a nice way. To the point that it can almost it can almost be a cliche if it's not done right. Yeah. Like anything, I guess. Oh, but for sure. It's definitely a fruitful a fruitful mix if you do it right. Yeah, for sure. Do you have anything else? Uh I I, I do want to throw in there two things I want to throw in there. Go ahead. Um, one, I just watched the recent Aretha Franklin documentary. Nice. And it's just all her in a church singing wow. gospel songs. Wow. And it is as good as it sounds from 1971. Um, there's a choir and uh, she's singing with, I think the guy's name is James Cleveland, who was a famous gospel singer nice. um, in the 60s and 70s. And he's playing piano and it's just... It's just really, really good. If you're a music fan of any, I mean, I don't. It's hard not to like Aretha Franklin, right. but if, if you need to be swayed, I think this will sway it. That sounds actually divine. It, 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 heavenly. It, it is. It's My crazy. Like Mick Jagger's there. Nice. Um, and there's this. There's this scene. You can actually find this clip on YouTube. It's a song called "Climbing Higher Mountains," where you just see the background. And you just see Mick like get up and like start like waving his hands. You know, huh. like. It's just so. It's just so. Uh, it's just so inspired. And That's so super good. cool. Um, and the other thing, the other thing, I want to give a shout out to. Um, this is actually a show that's happening a little outside of the this week window. Um, but the Selby Avenue Jazz Fest is something oh, nice. that I've uh, always been always been kind of into. Um, I love it. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's just a great festival, and they got a cool lineup this year. They got a neo soul act. They got some like. They got, you know, they got, they got like a brass band. They got some Brazilian music. I think they got a whole bunch of, whole bunch of stuff. So nice. That that should also be good. That that's going down September thirteenth or fourteenth, whatever that Saturday is. Right, and that's put on by Golden Time Coffee Shop, which is one of my favorite places to hang out in the Twin Cities. I love that place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I will probably be there. <laughs> nice. I probably will be too, so maybe I'll see you there. Yes. The one thing I the one thing I forgot to mention that I wanted to say is when we were talking about bands that we were listening to, the Kink song that really got me into looking back at their catalog is called Strangers. It's from the Lola album. And kind of like Oklahoma USA, it's just incredibly beautiful. It's this beautiful acoustic song that has really meaningful lyrics, and I would definitely su- suggest that anybody uh, who likes that sort of songwriting thing? Check it out. So, all right, uh, I'll put a link. Right. I'll put a link in the show notes and maybe send you a a link of the video on YouTube or something. Yeah, definitely. I'll definitely check it out. I'll have to go through a King's phase next week. Yeah, then we'll come back next time and talk about it. Yeah, we'll reevaluate. All right, man. Thanks a lot. I I really appreciate you coming on. It was awesome. Absolutely. Like, have a wonderful uh, time until I see you next. Sounds good. Peace. All right, man. Adios. Thank you for listening to this Music Ramble segment of Midweek Minnesota. For more information on my songwriting and to hear my music, visit ericritland.com and ericritland.bandcamp.com. For my music writing and a lot more other great content, visit musicinminnesota.com. And of course, remember to mark your calendars for October 7th, the launch of the Eric Ritland Isn't So Bad podcast. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.